Thank you for listening to the Park Church Podcast. I hope you enjoy the sermon. I'm actually going to see God's Word, but if you want to follow it in your Bibles, if you turn to Mark's Gospel, to the Gospel of Mark, to chapter 1, actually, don't, don't look at what it says in the intimation sheet. I typed one part of it at one point and then changed my mind by the time I finished the rest and I didn't change the, the passage of Scripture, still from Mark's Gospel, but we're going to pick up, we're looking this morning particularly at the story of the healing of the paralytic man brought through the roof, but we're just in order to put it in this context, we're picking up the story from the end of chapter 1 and we're going to follow the story through into further parts of chapter 2 and it should appear on the screen, and it's the NIV, I think it is, isn't it? So, it should follow. So, if you see the wee number, that's just simply telling you where it is on the the page, and in the the Pew Bibles, I believe it's page 1003 or thereabouts. Okay? A man with leprosy came to him and begged him on his knees. If you are willing, you can make me clean. Jesus was indignant. He reached out his hand and touched the man. I am willing, he said. Be clean. Immediately the leprosy left him and he was cleansed. Jesus sent him away at once with a strong warning. See that you don't tell this to anyone, but go. Show yourself to the priest and offer the sacrifices that Moses commanded for your cleansing as a testimony to them. Instead, he went out and began to talk freely, spreading the news. As a result, Jesus could no longer enter a town openly but stayed outside in lonely places. Yet the people still came to him from everywhere. A few days later, when Jesus again entered Capernaum, the people heard that he had come home. They gathered in such large numbers that there was no room left, not even outside the door, and he preached the word to them. Some men came, bringing to him a paralyzed man, carried by four of them. Since they could not get him to Jesus because of the crowd, they made an opening in the roof above Jesus. By digging through it, and then lowered the mat the man was lying on. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralyzed man, Son, Your sins are forgiven. Now, some teachers of the law were sitting there, thinking to themselves, why does this fellow talk like that? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? Immediately, Jesus knew in his spirit that this was what they were thinking in their hearts. And he said to them, why are you thinking these things? Which is easier? To say to this paralyzed man, your sins are forgiven. Or to say, get up, take your mat and walk. But I want you to know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. 
So he said to the man, I tell you, get up, take your mat, and go home. He got up, took his mat, and walked out in full view of them all. This amazed everyone, and they praised God, saying, We've never seen anything like this. Once again, Jesus went out beside the lake. A large crowd came to him, and he began to teach them. As he walked along, he saw Levi, son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax collector's booth. got up and followed him. While Jesus was having dinner at Levi's house, many tax collectors and sinners were eating with him and his disciples, for there were many who followed him. When the teachers of the law, who were Pharisees, saw him eating with the sinners and tax collectors, they asked his disciples, why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? On hearing this, Jesus said to them, it is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. So who is this Jesus? That's the question that the gospel writers, Mark, Matthew, Luke, and John, as I said the other week there from a different perspective, uh, slightly more philosophical perspective, but nonetheless, all these gospel writers, who is this Jesus? It was a question in the first century that people asked, who is this man that eats with sinners, with tax collectors who were regarded as the scum of the earth because they were traitors because they worked for the Romans? Who is this Jesus that says that he has the power to forgive sins? Who is this Jesus that can raise a man who is paralyzed? Who's this Jesus that can speak to the wind and the waves and command them to be silent? Who is this Jesus? And I would suggest this morning that also is a question that even today people are asking, perhaps even in a, a fresher way, for the first time in a fresh way, perhaps for a hundred years and more. Because one of the advantages actually of living in a post-Christian society is that so many people, especially so many younger people now, have actually in one sense so disconnected with the church that all the ailments and the fragilities and the problems and the fallenness of the church so often, which has often in the past been used as an excuse for people saying, well, if that's Christianity, you can keep it. That's, in a sense, forgotten about, gone. And so Jesus says, hmm, who is this man? You certainly will have family members and friends who, even if they claim to know who this Jesus is, will only have a very vague and often, unfortunately, a very warped version understanding of who 
Jesus Christ is. Certainly pretty clear from the story of Jesus forgiving and healing the paralyzed man that the friends of the paralyzed man had a good idea that this Jesus could do something for their friend. As we saw very movingly in the film, and as we read from the passage, we read that there was such a crowd gathered around Jesus in Capernaum. There's my glasses. I need to get my glasses. There was such a crowd gathered around Jesus in the, the home or the house that he was in in Capernaum that they actually, when they came, that makes a big difference, doesn't it? And when they came, they couldn't get in the door. It was a pack out. Because you see, Jesus was big news, fresh news. In a society where there was the oppression of the Romans, where there was nothing that could be done for those who were paralyzed or in other ways medically afflicted, where there was a hierarchical structure, you were either in or you were out, you either had it or you didn't. In a society where people were longing for something new, something different, in a sense, for someone or something to take control of the circumstances in which they were in. In such a society, Jesus was big news. That's why it's so sad in Britain in the 21st century. In a very similar kind of society, Jesus isn't such big news. That's, that's sad. Where people grapple with the very same issues in many ways that people did in first century Jerusalem. But he was there, and the crowd was great. And these friends who brought their man knew that this Jesus could do something radical for the friend. As to how they understood that, we're not told. It's interesting enough, Matthew in his gospel records the story, the very same story, after the teaching of the Sermon on the Mount. Perhaps these men had been there. And I heard Jesus speak about the kingdom in a radical way, God's law, not as a way of putting people down, but as a door that opened up to people understanding both the glory of God and their need of God's grace in their lives. Luke puts this story after Jesus has taught in the synagogue in Nazareth, where he got flung out at the end, where he opened the scriptures of the Old Testament and spoke of the one who was to come, the Messiah, the anointed one, who would preach and teach, and the captive would be set free, the blind would see, the lame would walk. And then he rolled up the scroll of the Old Testament scriptures and said, today, in your sight and in your presence, God's word has been fulfilled. may simply be that through all that was going on, these men had come to a faith. Because it's interesting, we note that when Jesus, verse 5, saw their faith, he said to the paralyzed man, son, your sins are forgiven. However they got to that place, these men cared for their friend. To be paralyzed, not paralytic because of the drink, but paralyzed because of a physical condition, was really to be condemned to poverty, to penury, and to be just left lying. If he didn't have friends, he wouldn't still be alive. But these men were true friends. They wanted to take this man to one that would be able to do something radical for their condition, for his condition, so radical, they were actually willing. When you think about it, I mean, many of us, not all of us, but many of us have heard this story often in Sunday school and elsewhere, and so we all lose the impact, actually, the film showed. I mean, let's be honest, if somebody opened the roof this morning, I think the managers would have something to talk about on Tuesday night. Took the slates off, and they broke through the lathe and plaster. 
But that's what they did. They were so desperate, they were willing to really go out there. Can you imagine afterwards, the guy who owned the house would become, by the way, here's the bills for the joiner and the slater and the plasterer. But they were so desperate because they, they loved their friend and they knew that Jesus could do something about this man's condition, that they were willing to really go out there for him to, to go the extra mile. And as we journey through these encounters with Jesus this morning, we have to say to our own hearts and souls, if we say that we have faith in Jesus Christ, say this to myself as to anyone else, how far are we willing to go? How convinced are we that Jesus Christ can make a difference, can impact life and living and reality, has the power to do things that no one else can do? And what does that mean? for our relationships, for the things we say, and for the things we do. For you see, these men's faith was demonstrated in tangible actions. James it is who tells us that faith without works is dead. Faith, a very personal in many ways, and as far as the world's concerned, perhaps quite a nebulous thing, that faith tangibly demonstrates itself in how we act, in who we are, and in what we say. It tangibly demonstrates itself in our connections with Jesus. And so, in faith in Jesus, and in love for their friends, they carried him and brought him down through that roof. And the man was never the same again. We'll come to that in a wee minute. But I don't think those guys were ever the same again. Because their faith, however vague, however struggling, however infant-like it was, bore fruit in an amazing and lasting way that day. And that's what it means to be a friend of Jesus, for the Lord to take us, so to speak into our lives, so to work within our hearts that we become His hands, His mouth, his eyes, his feet in our relationships and in our community today. Lord, speak to me that I may speak in living echoes of thy tone. As thou hast sought, so let me seek thy erring children, lost and lone. And we'll is that stand. Going to be? It's easy for me to say I know this, but is that going to be tomorrow morning when you go to work, when Nick starts his job, and they'll be flying about down to Birmingham or wherever else? Or where Carolyn goes into the school and finds herself in the midst of World War Z? Or where on Tuesday, maybe at the coffee service, we're sitting by friends, or we meet somebody in the street on the way to the coffee service? or we're talking to a neighbor over the fence, or dealing with Rhonda's with a, a large business and all the demands and expectations of that with colleagues and with workers. Oh, use me, Lord, use even me. 
just as thou wilt, and when and where, until thy blessed face I see, thy rest, thy joy, thy glory share. Those men that day, long before friends Francis Ridley Havergal wrote thy hymn, those men that day sang that song in their actions and in their compassion and in their love because they believed that Jesus could make a difference. Do we? And the difference is very tangible. The man is brought through the roof, back on with the specs. The man is brought through the roof, and Jesus sees the man again in the film, adding, obviously, playing out, in a sense, what takes place. He says to the paralyzed one, son, your sins are forgiven. Now, just a pause there. Later on in the Gospels, the, the disciples, there's an incident happens in the community, in the wider community. A tower collapses, and many people are killed, and the disciples say to Jesus, oh, these folk must have been really bad folk, you know, because look what happened to them, you know. Their sins must have been very noticeable because look, that tower's fall down on top of them. And Jesus actually rebukes them and basically makes the point, well, if that was the case, towers should be falling down upon all of you. And so I want to make clear before we go any further, Jesus is not saying here to this paralyzed man, ah, well, that's why you're in this mess, because of your sin. But he is saying that that is the greatest need that this man has, that we all have, of our sins being forgiven. But look what happens. Read on in the story. I'm going to come back to that in a minute. But look what happens. Because, of course, the man is healed. We remember that. We saw that. The, the, the people round about, the, especially the religious leaders, are thinking to themselves, why does this fellow talk like that? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? And we're told immediately, Jesus, you in his spirit, that this was what they were thinking in their hearts. The Spirit of God goes where it wills. It sees into the, the, the hidden depths of our hearts. He knows what we're really thinking and what we're really saying beneath the veneer, beneath the surface, beneath the outward form of religion. And Jesus knows this. And he says to them, why are you thinking these things? Which is easier, to say to this paralyzed man, your sins are forgiven, and to say it to him personally, or to say, get up, take your mat, and walk. But I want you to know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. So he said to the man, I tell you, get up, take your mat, and go home. And he got up, took his mat, and walked out in full view of them all. Why is Jesus, why did Jesus restore this man to his legs? Well, he did so because he had compassion on the man. But he did so so that there was a tangible sign that Jesus Christ had the authority to forgive sins. You see what he's saying? I want you to know, in fact, in Matthew and Luke, it says, knowing that they didn't believe, so that they would know that the Son of Man had authority. He healed that man. Practical demonstrations of what God alone has the power to do. And I think that's important for us to take on board. 
So often in the church, the past, the church has been rightly in the forefront of social ministry, of, of pioneering many vital things that made a big impact on the society, the abolition of slavery uh, way back in the 19th century. It was Christians who were in the forefront of that in making radical differences to the working conditions of people, especially of children in the 19th century. It was Christians who were in the forefront of that working indeed for improvements within the welfare system of society, Christians were very much involved in the advancement for that. And down through the years, even more recent times, the church often is in the forefront. Interesting enough, so often now, when you see things in television and the news talking about this project or that project of practical care and ministry with drug addicts or asylum seekers or whatever else, and if you ever look at the news, not always, not always, but often when you look at the news and look at the location, what's the location? A church hall, a church building. And so often it is Christians who are being interviewed and asked about their practical ministry, the Glasgow City Mission, within our own city. That tangible impacting of lives, of living, of circumstances, of situations. But why is that so important for Christians to do? It's important to do because we love people and care for people, because we're grieved, as we saw last Sunday, over the plight of a fallen and fractured world. And like Jesus, our hearts are stirred as we see the consequences of the world and of the way it, sh it is. Not the way it should have been, but the way it is. But it's done also so that people will know that there is one who has the authority to do amazing things, that one being Jesus Christ. So the shoeboxes get sent out, and they're given, but so also is God's Word. Saw that? That simple story, that greatest journey. And as God's Word is ministered, as people receive practical gifts and tangible signs of love and care, but also hear the Word of God, which brings knowledge of Jesus, who alone can forgive sins, together they reveal the God that we love and own and serve. And so practical ministry as a church here, and the involvement we are in the Cinnamon Project to bless our community and everything else, and it is vital ministry, but at its heart it's because we do believe that Jesus has power to do amazing and wonderful things and to deal with the human condition in all its need and form. As the old evangelist said, when confronted with a hungry man, starving man, what do you do? Hand him just a piece of paper, a tract? No. What you do do is put the tract inside two slices of bread, a bit of bacon. God's word, God's action, together revealing a God who makes a difference. Beauty for brokenness, hope for despair. Lord, in your suffering world, this is our prayer. Bread for the children, justice, joy, peace, sunrise to sunset, your kingdom 
increase. And again, we'll start. So please be seated. Who is this Jesus? This is the Jesus who makes impacts on lives, who makes radical differences on people, who causes folk to do almost what, humanly speaking, might be impossible. And my friends, I plead with you this morning, and all our material comforts and all the blessings that we have compared to even the Ukraine, and certainly compared to many other, the vast majority of the world, in our comfort have we not become callous to the Jesus who gave us all that we might be saved. And in our places of security, in our places of safety that we retreat into, we have lost sight of what it is to fling ourselves upon the God who alone can forgive our sins. For our sins are many, brothers and sisters. And our need is great. We may not be outwardly paralyzed, but so often in our spirit and soul we're inwardly paralyzed. How grieved I was last evening to hear of someone, actually someone who worships here sometimes but hasn't been for a long time, to see that they are struggling through with all of this. They think they're hard done by, that they're poor, that they, you know, what a disgrace! that we should think that we're poor in the sight of the needs of the world and a God who out of His richness became poor for us and for our salvation. Because He alone has the power to forgive our sin. There's no other name. Peter's told, tells us in the book of Acts, under heaven, or upon earth by which we might be saved. You see, this paralyzed man has got his legs back. Praise God, that was tremendous. But at the end of the day, he, like all of us, was going to die. He, like all of us, was going to go on that final journey, the greatest journey of all, which is to pass from this passing earth and stand before the God, the God who knows our hearts. Look what Jesus said. He knew in his spirit what they were thinking in their hearts. That's the God that we're going to have to stand before. I told you this illustration before many years ago when I was in Carmyle. just shows how long ago it was because I spoke about videotapes, and that's long gone. But I remember using that illustration. It was a baptism, a christening, and there was quite a crowd of folk, and obviously folk had had the christening, and they were thinking it was time for the, the booze and the party and all the rest of it. And they were having to sit there, and they were getting a bit fed up. You could see that, and I think it was just you know, all the rest of it, until we came to the point, you can't even remember the passage of Scripture when I said something about the fact that, do you know that at the end of the time when you stand before God in glory and in His holiness, there'll be a videotape playing, and it won't be of whatever your favorite, but it'll be of your life. And not just of what outwardly is in your life, but what inwardly has been in your life. And it'll be there for not only God to see, but you to see, for the angels to see. I said we won't necessarily be wanting to party then. Will we? But I said, in Jesus Christ, there'll be one who will come in there again. I'll give away my age by saying he'll take that videotape and he'll wipe it clean. Although our sins be as scarlet, God says, 
I can make them as white as snow. As far as east is from the west, so far can he remove our transgressions from us. If we confess our sins, God's Word tells us, God is faithful and just to forgive us from our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. What kind of unrighteousness? Unrighteousness of greed, of selfishness, of self-centeredness, of apathy, of callousness, of carelessness. That's the sins we're talking about, my friends. I don't think we have many murderers here, bank robbers, or anybody else, but we all have the sin of pride within our hearts. The great eye that wants to rule and reign and think that we are the king of the castle, and before God, the word of condemnation will be brought forth. Apart from those who put their faith in the one who has alone authority to forgive us our sins. Yes, we all stand before that God this morning. And outwardly we may be hale and hearty, but inwardly our sin-sick souls need a Savior. And who is this man? This is the man who alone can save. And what is his name? His name will be called Jesus. Yeshua. Why? Because that very name tells us that he will save his people from their sin. Have we put our trust and our faith in him? Lord, I come to you. Let my heart be changed, renewed, flowing from the grace that I found. And we'll stand. Does that man that day was raised from his mat? But on that final great resurrection day, he will be raised to life eternal. Lord, we come conscious of our need of your grace and mercy within our lives. Give us fresh perspectives. Give us eyes that see things as they really are. Hearts that are stirred with that love of God. And lives, skills, talents given over to your service. And so take these our offerings as a token of our very lives given to you. Lord Jesus Christ because you first loved us and gave your life as a ransom for many. Jesus said it's not the healthy who need a doctor but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous but sinners. Well Lord we're a group of sinners here this morning and we need your mercy. In Jesus' name.
Thank you for listening to the Park Church Podcast. I hope you enjoy the sermon.